Utah's best sports radio is on the Zone Sports Network. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is... And it's time to kick off Utah's most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Sponsored by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Our next guests are the co-hosts of the very popular radio program entitled The Big Show. The Big Show. This is The Big Show. They call me Hollywood. Here come The Big Show. Big Show. Ladies and gentlemen, The Big Show. It's a big show. Everybody ready? Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. It's hump day. Woo-woo! Hump day? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome in. It is The Big Show here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. I'm Gordon Monson. Jake Scott is out today. Austin Horton will be joining me for a while. And then I hear Hans Olsen is going to drop by. So we'll have that privilege as well. You just heard Hans on the Hans and Scotty show. Be good to talk with Hans about the upcoming Super Bowl and all the intricacies involved in that particular matchup. I have my own thoughts on that. I know Mr. NFL in there has his thoughts on the Super Bowl, right? Who, who's that? Is someone else coming here? I, don't... <laughs> I just harken back to the days when we used to make our picks, our uh, weekly picks, and you uh, you sounded like an encyclopedia of uh-huh. knowledge. And who won the picks that season? Did you? Oh, come on. <laughs> Mr. Seven Games Below 500. Oh, come on. I won uh, I won two or three years, didn't I? Not according to my records. Yeah, you forget that. Where are you? your records? All I know is that you started giving us the, you know, the middle names of the players. <laughs> they're, they're, when uh... the moon is in a waxing <laughs> stage, the 49ers win 17% of the time. I loved it when you did that, and then you ended up losing those years. You know? That's, that's I mean, not you, right. It, 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 okay, you won one year? Yeah. Yeah. But you always said all the facts. Yeah. It just goes to show you knowledge is not power. Yeah. I learned. I, I learned my lesson. Now I put no preparation into my that, work. That works. That's just the way it is when you're guessing about games. You know, I used to think that the only people who really knew what was going to happen in a sporting event before it happened is who? The referees. <laughs> no. no, not the referees. Well, yeah, that might be true, too. I always thought it was just the barbers. The barbers? Yeah. <laughs> Why the barbers? Because everyone comes in and chats them up? Yeah. And they, they always seem to have some sort of idea. I always thought barbers would make great sports talk uh, show hosts. Why? They don't talk. They just listen. No, they talk, too. No, a barber's job is to just listen to your problems. <laughs> when was the last time you went to a, a real barber shop? Never once in my life. Really? My, my mother is a, a hairdresser, so she always cut my hair growing up. She has a shop in her house, and then when uh, my hair fell out, I didn't go to a barber then either. Weird. <laughs> How did that work with your mom? I mean, did you go through that stage where you wanted to have really long hair? 
And your dad probably didn't want you to have really long See, hair? the way I got away with it was I was in a, a, a musical that required me to grow my hair out, and so that's what I did. But, you know, given my luck, uh, all my friends grew out this really long, thick, <laughs> surfer, uh, metrosexual look. The girls were going crazy over their hair. I grew my hair out, and you know what happened? What? I apparently have naturally curly hair, and it just went out like Bob Ross. <laughs> So, <laughs> were you sporting a uh, Artist Gilmore type look? Uh, who? <laughs> Did you have the big fro? Artist Gilmore? Artist Gilmore. I have no. Is he related to Happy? <laughs> I don't know. I Happy think... Gilmore? I hope I'm right. Yeah, it was a big right? afro kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. All right, anyway, man. I went to the barber once in my my. Uh, I grew up in the in the well, you know, those formative years and those teenage years and the. In the 60s. He had the feathered hair. And he had the feathered hair, but it was long hair was the thing. That's why I call you Farah. And, and I went <laughs> I went to the uh, I went to the barber, and the guy cuts my hair. I come home. My dad took one look at me and sent me back to the barber. Now, that was embarrassing. What did you say to the barber? I said, my dad says you didn't cut it short enough. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, I thought you like, had done a new look or something. No. No, no, not at all. Although my dad, uh, see, this whole idea, was it a good, did you, were you always happy with your mom uh, cut your hair? I mean, I was a, a, a child. I was ungrateful and uh, annoying about it. But looking back on well, what it, about yeah. In your, through your teenage years? Even then, that's, oh yeah, because, you know, kids get less <laughs> ungrateful and annoying to their parents in their teenage years. That's when they really start appreciating mom and dad is 13 through 19. Okay, so I, I my memory of my dad is I love my dad. Uh, I have strong memories of him. But he used to cut my hair up until the time I started going to the barber. And I was about 10 years old, and I was just maybe 11, getting to that point in my life where I wanted to make a statement at school and whatnot, and everybody was wearing the long hair. So my dad decided he'd give me a flat top. I think I've told you this story, but he oh, had, that's he, never stopped you before. He so had this. Right uh, he had this. Radio was not linear. <laughs> he had this, it was. He had this attachment on the on the, the the razor thing, and he's giving me a flat top. I said, "Dad, flat tops were in style in like the fifties, right?" He, he decides he wants to try it, so he's giving me a flat top, and then he forgot to put the attachment back on. And he mowed that thing straight down the middle. So I had an, uh, an inverted mohawk. He left it like that? No. Oh. No, he took one look at it and said, sorry, son. It's all, it's all going. Go. <laughs> oh, that was, that was torture. I bet you enjoyed it, though. I hated it. Why? Oh, because of the look of the yeah. day was not to be yes. buzzed short. Yeah. yeah, nowadays anything goes. I'll tell you, I would not take my hair back if I was given the option. I wouldn't. Why not? It's liberating to not have to worry about it. Well, you you have a good you have a good head, and that makes a difference. Yeah, it does. there's some people that go bald, and you're like, "Ooh, <laughs> Roswell." <laughs> what do you mean? Who? Like they've got elongated uh, back of their heads. You didn't know because it was covered. <laughs> so they then like... they lose their hair, and you're like, "Whoa! <laughs> did you get stuck in a, a bank tube in the drive-through?" <laughs> They look like Stand the, too close to a jet engine, did you? <laughs> do they look like the offspring of a pharaoh or something? Yeah, right. They look like a, a painting oh, on a cave wall. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. We're starting to show this way. but I'm was, not. This is fun. <laughs> anyway, our guest today will have David Locke, the radio voice of the jazz at 3.30.
And uh, the pregame today, the Jazz playing the Spurs. Uh, pregame is at 5.30, the early tip tonight. So uh, the guys will take over. Who's taking over uh, since Jake is out today? I believe Tony Parks. Tony Parks. Superman will be uh, on the air with uh, Tim Lacombe. All right. We have that to look forward to. So the Jazz, see if they can bounce back from that. That uh, whatever that was the other night, I haven't uh, really settled on what to call that. I guess a disappointment, maybe. But anyway, all right, let's get the show going for real. We'll start with our split story of the day. Two guys, two topics, two, two, two. two opinions. You talk, give me two. This is the split story of the day on 975-1280 the zone and the zone sports network. Um, it's a good reminder. You know, it's a good reminder. And I think, like I said, it's a matter of how we respond. But, you know, we, I think we got into the paint. We attacked the way we were supposed to. I think just, you know, when we when we made, made those passes, sometimes shots didn't fall. And we made little mental errors on defense. Yeah, I'll say there you hear Donovan Mitchell talking about it. He said, called it a reminder. Do you think these guys should need a reminder? I mean, this is the NBA. They're playing uh, competition every single night. I know the Rockets really were undermanned. Their three best players not there, but... I tell you, I don't think professional players should need reminders. Just my thought. Uh, okay, because meaning reminder, let's define reminder. I think he was saying it was a reminder that you can't th- look at across the, the, the way and see, okay. oh, they're all out. We can just roll in here. All right. But, I, it, but I, in I, the sense of reminding to get up for a game, yeah, that's a problem. Or to play intense defense mm-hmm. or to rotate properly or not turn the ball over when you're closing in on – uh, tying the game up. Uh, those things are things the Jazz should know. But, look, it's a long NBA season. We know that. It can't be uh, have your A game every game. And so the Jazz did pay for it against the Rockets. They dropped a third in the West with that record of 32-14. and 14. Now the Jazz play the 20-26 and 26 Spurs tonight. They are currently ninth in the Western Conference and have lost three straight games, uh, Austin. They're 12-12 and 12 on their home floor, so it's a stiffer challenge, obviously, going to San Antonio, although nobody in San Antonio calls San Antonio San Antonio. But, I uh, wish no one called it that. Still a, t- <laughs> still a tough place to play, and uh, we'll see how it goes tonight. I'm looking at this game. As okay, uh, they're playing the Spurs. I get all that, but really, at this point, it's all about the Jazz becoming whatever it is that they're going to be. It's about them executing. As Donovan was talking about them there, it's about them uh, offering up the offense that we've seen out of them over the past two months, which has been the best offense in the league. That's the good news. The bad news is, uh, how are they going to play defense? And the Jazz are known as a defensive team, and Rudy Gobert, obviously the best defensive player on the planet, but he can't be everywhere. He can't be everywhere on the floor, and it seems like teams are trying to draw Rudy away from the basket and then utilize shooters and penetration to punish the Jazz. And that's something they're going to have to solve, Austin, and I don't know how they're going to do it. I I know sometimes on a show we act as though we – we think we know all the problems and what how to solve them, but I, I don't know how this is going to get done. Because as a part of that solving is the integration of Mike Conley, who was really bad on defense the other night, and I don't know how it's going to go. 
Yeah, it's a problem. Uh, it's the the old the age old question we would talk about for a couple years in a row. Where could the Jazz afford to sacrifice some of that hard nosed defense? to bring the offense up to speed where it needs to be to be a championship contender. And obviously they did they have a, a championship offense. That that's that's obvious. But did they sacrifice too much to get that offense that now the defense is going to get hurt a lot. The good news as you mentioned Rudy Gobert covers a lot of that up. He does, and we saw that play where he pivoted and twirled and came back and blocked a shot. I mean, he, he it does. looks like no one else was on the team though yeah, on that play. He covers a lot of ground, but I just I just wonder what this defense is going to look like when they're going up against the best teams in the West. And some of those teams have athleticism and speed. And I'll tell you, the Jazz looked slow the other night against the Rockets. Is that just my eyes, or did you see the same thing? Uh, Slow. I I like the word slow there. Uh, A little bit uh, behind. So, yeah, slow slow would apply. It looked like the Rockets knew what they were doing uh, a second, a full second before the Jazz realized what they were doing. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, and and that's uh, you hesitate for a half a second in the NBA, and you're going to get beat. These uh, guys are too talented. They're they're too proficient at scoring, and that's what happened in that game. And then when the Jazz had the ball, that switching Houston defense caused them problems, much the way it did in the playoffs a year ago and the year before that. We talked a little bit about that yesterday, but I. This is one of the areas that I think the Jazz are going. Quinn Snyder has probably already figured it out. Now he's trying to educate his players to come around. But if you're going to go against players who have a little a little edge on you, just a, a, a fraction of a step on you, then you've got to have great communication defensively and guys have to know when to help, when not to help, and when to help the helper. And that's uh, terminology that Quinn likes to use, and we'll see how it goes. That's the biggest problem, I think, moving forward for the Jazz. Those two things, defense on the perimeter and uh, integrating Mike Conley into that, both at the offensive end and the defensive end, but especially at the defensive end. I thought Mike Conley was going to be every bit the defender that Ricky Rubio is because we saw Rubio get beat at times. Not so. I mean, Mike yeah. Conley is uh, – Ricky Rubio is a bigger man than uh, than Mike Conley and could do some things that Mike can't. So that's their biggest problem as far as I'm concerned. With all the good news we've seen, as well as the Jazz have played over the past uh, uh, two months, this is an area that we focus on now because we're not comparing the Jazz to the – middle-tier teams in the league to the lesser teams in the league. We're comparing them, or trying to at least, compare them to the best teams in the league because we've talked about them as being contenders in the West. But some people, Charles Barkley among them, think that the Jazz could contend for a title this year. Yeah, do you think, uh, and maybe I know your answer to this already based on how the the segment, your thoughts you've shared already, but do you think the Jazz offense is to a level where uh, the defense ultimately won't cost them enough games to no longer be a contender, meaning they are so good offensively that even on nights uh, that they're bad defensively, they'll score enough points to still win games. No, because I don't trust the offense enough. Really? I, I In a playoff series, 
where coaches and coaches in the NBA are the best teams in the league are very good. They're very intelligent. I just wonder whether the what's going to happen on the nights when Joe Ingles is, is having an off night and Bogdanovich is having having an off night. I, I want because that's going to happen. Donovan will have a good night, and uh, Royce O'Neal will have a good night, and George Niang will have a good night. Well, I guess I guess maybe that could happen, but it would be nice for them. To, Rudy will give you twenty two. Really good. We'll see. Yeah. Against the Rockets, we saw that Bogdanovich, what do you have, 30? Yeah. And, and Mitchell had 35, if I'm remembering Something right. Something around there, yeah. I think Rudy had 12, and they, they still got beat by a team that was missing its what a, best player. What a weird game. It was weird. To have, it was, who was it that told us, or maybe I was on the show I do with uh, Tony, that uh, the entire Houston Rockets starting lineup was shorter than the Jazz's shortest player. <laughs> How if if you would think the Jazz would win that by twenty six? Yeah, the guys on the floor were between six three and six six. Which you know, for me that's tall, but for the NBA that's slight. So doesn't help when Eric Gordon goes off for fifty points. Yeah, how many free throws did he shoot? Sixty <laughs> one. Good grief! Well, that's the other problem. They were fouling instead were of playing they? good defense. Were they fouling? You think it was the refs were making bad calls? When you shoot eighty six free throws. That's that's pretty hard to say that you were fouled. All, 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 all of them were fouls, yep. <laughs> were they, all the whole team, wait, you're out. Wait, wait, how many free throws were there? I'd have to look. I mean, but it, seemed like, it seemed like a lot. This is an area that Quinn Snyder is stressed, not to foul. Play tough defense. Stay in front of your man. And they didn't do that. And and look, I, I don't mean to sound fanboy by saying, well, the fouls, the refs, the you, Jazz should have. You kind of sounded like It that. was a factor, but the Jazz should have won anyway. It, when it's that roster, it, it would it would I know I'm exaggerating with my numbers. It would have had to be been those type of numbers for us to come on the air and say, "Well, the refs didn't give them a chance." It, it, so let's see. Uh, Eric Gordon shot 20 free throws, so 16 of his 50 points were from the free throw line. Well, they the Jazz they couldn't cover him. The Jazz as a team made 19 free throws. He made three less free throws than the Jazz as a team made. I'm he not, took 20, I, I blame, and the Jazz team took I can't 26. can the refs for fouls committed. You think that all of the all of those fouls were good calls? Well, I, no, I mean, referees always make mistakes, but I don't think that was the difference in the game. Yeah, well, it was 16 points difference. I'll tell you what the difference was when the Jazz closed within six and then turned the ball over, like on four straight possessions. That's what's going to get you beat. Well, that's why didn't the refs call a foul when the Rockets fouled them and made them turn it over? Well... Uh, th- that's not what I saw. Oh, that's I, what, maybe I, what I'd, I, I saw. Well, the, I saw the Jazz turning the ball over Look, all think, by themselves. I don't think the refs made any mistakes on the Houston Are you Rockets. really going to blame the refs? <laughs> <laughs> just because it bothers you so. You and PK. Whenever I bring up refs around PK, he just walks away. Do you mean it? Uh, sometimes I do mean it. Today I don't mean it. But. All right. Well, kind of. Did you see the play that's going around where... Eric Gordon just went out, uh, went uh, Apollo Creed on Rudy's <laughs> little Rocky. <laughs> I and the ref was like, Look, oh, fair play to me. No, the refs make mistakes. I get that. But they make All mis- three of them? They make mistakes at both ends. Well, no, those turnovers. The, they I'm, made mistakes in the no, middle. That well, one. Hold on. Those, those, those turnovers I was talking about, those were not fouls. How do you know? Because I watched it. I did too, and I thought I saw a foul. <laughs> okay. All right. The Jazz's upcoming schedule. Uh, let's see what you think about this. I mean, we've talked a lot about the the ease 
of what the Jazz have accomplished uh, over the past uh, bit uh, when they were winning. What they win, seventeen to twenty, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, some of those teams weren't the toughest in the league, but coming up, they have okay. They got the Spurs tonight. They have the Nuggets away, the Trailblazers away, the Nuggets and Blazers at home. Isn't that weird how the schedule works sometimes that way? Uh, it's getting re- repetitive here. Then they have the Rockets away, the Mavs away, the Heat, Spurs, and Rockets at home, and then sometime thereafter, the Jazz uh, go on a four-game road trip. So it's it's not going to get any easier. But I don't I don't think it's about the competition. I really don't. I think if these guys do what Quinn Snyder is trying to tell them to do, when they achieve that, they win. When they achieve that, they win. I think Quinn has the answers. It's just a matter of whether the players can execute what he wants to have done. And if they do, they win. And if they don't, they don't. And that's sort of the tone I got from the players the other night, Austin, when they were talking about their shortcomings. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like they didn't know what they needed to do. They just didn't do what they know they have to do. You know? Say that again, if you possibly can. I told you this. I, it goes back to... Let me when, try and see if I when, can repeat when, when that. I, when I the players think that they know when he knows what they think they know to do when they think they know that he's knowing what they're thinking to do. No, it's like when I was getting my license renewed way back when I was a young driver and I had to drive the car through the course. Was that one of those cars where the crank engine no. on the front of it? <laughs> Like in the silent films. And so the officer was in the car with me and he said, okay, park on that hill over there. And I went over there and I parked parallel perfectly, but I did not turn my tires so that if something happened to my parking brake, it would run up against the curb. And he said, you did everything right, except for you didn't do that. And I said, oh, I I know that. I know that. And he looked at me and he said, if you know it, why don't you do what you know? You know, and, and that's what Quinn Snyder was saying to his players the other night. Turn your wills against the curb. Why don't you do what you know? Which way are you supposed to turn those wills? By you're the way? supposed to turn them away, so that the <laughs> away. <laughs> you're supposed to turn it so that the wheels are facing turned away from the curb. So turn it all the way to the left. All the way to the yeah, I guess yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not, not guess. So that, whatever. What, you're so, going to park on the left side? This is not England. You have to park on the right <laughs> side of the street. So that if something goes wrong, it'll run up against the curb. Uh-huh. So you're safe. No, I wouldn't have, I would have failed you too. So you that. Left or right. <laughs> that's the moral of our first segment is do, <laughs> do what you know. Do what you know. Sounds like Sunday school. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that, brother? <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Coming up next, we'll get to stop two. We've got a thing coming up uh, this week, a uh, thing called the Super Bowl. We'll get that. What number is it? 53, two? It's LV. What is it uh, in Roman numerals? Uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> who, who cares? A lot, right. of, a lot of bad food, good times, and hopefully good football. <laughs> we'll talk about uh, Patrick Mahomes and oh, it's uh, LIV Super Bowl LIV 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 Live. Okay, all right. We'll live large. Coming up next on the Big Show. Slow mo Joe. The Joe Ingles Show with DJ and PK. PK. 
And I'm wondering when you're playing this well, does the way Quinn interact with the team change at all? He's the same guy today that he is six years ago when he first got the job. And that's hard to do to stay so focused and determined to keep this franchise going and obviously heading in the right direction. And obviously everyone that's watched closely for the six years Quinn's been here, he's a big part of this massive change that's happened. A lot is the culture and what he does and what he brings and what he stands for. Utah is lucky to have him and hopefully he's, well, he just extended, didn't he? So he's, yeah. he's here for a bit longer. Oh, yeah. Catch Jazzman Joe Ingles with DJ and PK every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back in. It is the big show. Austin, who's our band of the day and why? Jenny from the block. J-Lo. Jennifer Lopez. She's doing the uh, halftime show this Sunday at Super Bowl LIV. Uh, along with Shakira, brought to you by Live Nation Concerts, buy concert tickets, and get the latest tour news and artist insight at LiveNation.com. So do you like Jennifer Lopez's uh, music? Yeah. Listen to this. Listen. You'll move. You'll tap your finger. Yes, yes I will. We Sit on the floor, Gordon. We Let's see your best move, and I'll... Let's see. What's your... This, is, this is pretty much it. Just bounce the knees <laughs> up and down. Is, is that the way you danced back in the day? Yep, just a little side to side with the knee bend here. Some might call it the Pee Wee Herman. I don't know. Oh man, we said, it's hot, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I, I did the did the ladies like that? Oh, I better close the window. I don't want to attract a crowd out there. So. <laughs> Do you think that? Uh, by the way, are women impressed by guys who can really, really dance? Is that cool? I, I'm impressed by guys that can really do I know you are. I know that you and Gene Kelly, that you, you, I've got a piece of audio that tells me you really liked guys that could dance. Yeah, we said we were going to talk about the Super Bowl. And Fred Astaire. But we have David Locke coming up in a minute. He's calling. Okay, well, so we'll be talking to David about uh, what's going on with the Jazz. Further, I really think that, uh, you know, the Mike Conley issue continues to be intriguing, interesting. He's too good a player not to have a, a really positive influence on the Jazz as a whole. I mean, I'm talking about the nuts and bolts of what he could do on the floor, not just him as a great teammate or him as a team leader, all that sort of thing. He's too talented not to have an extremely positive effect on this team, and I'm waiting for it to happen. We'll ask David about that, uh, see if he can contribute Conley uh, on offense and on defense. So. That, that'll be key, especially as we consider the Jazz's opportunity in the postseason, what they'll be able to do there. And uh, he, he, he has to come around in order for the Jazz to, to do what they have designs on doing. Uh, let's go out to Locke. David, are you there? Martin lead hosting a show. What the hell's going on? I don't know. Uh, Jake is off today, and so, uh, so we didn't have much choice. But... Uh, Anyway, uh, we've been talking a lot about the Jazz, David, and you're on the road with them. I know you have a bus to catch coming up in a few minutes. 
But I wanted to ask you uh, two things about the Jazz's perimeter defense. Is that a problem in your eyes? Does what needs to be fixed in order to make that what it might be able to be? And is the integration of Mike Conley involved in that whole process? Well, I think the answer to your question is um, Houston exposed that the um, the defense staying in front of the ball is a problem for some of our players. And then more so if Rudy Gobert's not behind them. We're usually able to play inside of a structure where we keep Rudy, you know, keep keep Rudy Gobert near the basket, and then that covers up for a lot of your weaknesses, allows you to be a little more aggressive, allows you to do some things differently as a defensive player. Um, but, you know, we don't have – we did against Houston, they did a really good job of being able to take that away so that suddenly Gobert, you know, wasn't – in his usual spots to be able to help out when Eric Gordon drove on any of our defenders. So in the simplest terms, yeah, I think that's a weakness. Um, I think it'll be an interesting as the season goes on of whether it continues to be a weakness. Uh, and it's, you know, it's the question I had when the year started. And frankly, now that it's the question I still have right now, and that is how good are we defensively? Like, I know we have the best defensive player in the world, but how good are we defensively? We're as good as I thought we were going to be offensively. That's not a question. The question is, you know, how good are we defensively? Is there room, David, for them to be even more, uh, even better offensively so that when they are, defense uh, is lacking, that they that covers up for it? Or are they pretty much at the peak of their offense? You can't be better than they've been offensively for the last 16 games. Their offensive rating is about a 122. I don't think, I don't think they can be any better than this. Oh come on! Where's one twenty three? Come on, I don't know. The Warriors, <laughs> the Warriors in their peak were one fifteen. Mm. And the Mavs are right there somewhere. Aren't the they? Mavs are one. The Mavs are one sixteen right now. Uh-huh. And traditionally, offenses get better as the season goes on. So the expectation is that um, that the offense that rating will actually go up. So the the Mavericks will go down as the best offensive team probably in the history of the game. You mentioned earlier, David, about uh, whether this will continue to be a problem. Uh, you know, NBA coaches are the best in the world, and they're pretty smart. And when they see the Jazz struggle with that kind of thing, can other teams replicate what Houston did the other day to the Jazz? Well, there were some personnel things that were unique to Houston on that day. Like, for example, like one of the things the Jazz really struggled on that game was the P.J. Tucker pick-and-roll. So when P.J. Tucker set the pick, the Jazz struggled. Ironically enough, if Clint Capella plays – they probably and James Harden plays. They probably never run a PJ Tucker pick and roll the entire game, because Clint Capella would have been the ones running pick and roll, and James Harden and Russell Westbrook would have been playing isolation, and you would have never seen it. So it's funny how it works sometimes. That um, so it really comes down to personnel, and on that given night, the personnel. And I felt it when the night started. You can ask Craig Ackerman and Matt Bullard, which I don't expect you to do. So no, I'm pretty safe with this. Um, who are the Rockets broadcast team? They're like, wow, this is gonna be a blowout. I'm like, I don't think so. We can't guard your starting lineup. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, we're not going to be able to guard that. Like, we're not going to be able to guard four four guards and P.J. Tucker. Like, that's not going to work for us. And what's fortunate is I don't think most teams can do that. So there's some aspects of that which is um, are replicable in what some teams will do. But, you know, for example, I think the Lakers could replicate it, but they have to play Anthony Davis at the five don't really want to do they become much less good defensively um 
Dallas tried, but they don't have the personnel to drive to the basket when you pull Rudy out the way Houston does, so that didn't really work for them. Uh, the Clippers have Montrez Harrell and Zubak, so unless they get someone who's going to pull it out of the middle, they, they don't have the personnel to do that right now. So, you know, a lot of what I would say is that I don't, I don't necessarily think that it, it, it might be something that someone looks at on paper and says that's what we want to do, but you have the personnel to do it, and I'm not sure there's that many teams that have the personnel to do it. The, the Spurs don't have the personnel to do it tonight. If Jakob Pertl's on the floor, which could get interesting tonight, is I would suspect the Spurs will play Trey Lyles as center a little bit tonight. And and that'll be their way of trying to replicate that. By the way, I'll back you on that because I heard I heard your call early in the game and you were all over that right from the beginning saying uh, how difficult this particular matchup was. So uh, I'll vouch for you on that, David. Uh, I mean, they, they were doing two things to us that makes it hard. They were switching one through five because P.J. Tucker is so small. Ironically enough, when they have Clint Capella on the floor, they only switch one through four. And so, you know, if someone wants to try to switch one, the Clippers are the closest team to anyone who could switch one through five defensively. But if you're not switching one through five, then we're going to get the other one in the pick and roll. The other thing is they didn't have a weak link defensively. So when you think about it from that standpoint, you know, if Harden or Westbrook's playing, then you let them switch everything and you go isolate Harden and beat Harden. But since he wasn't playing, they didn't have a per se truly weak defender on the floor. David, how, how would you describe uh, your current uh, temperature or feelings about the Mike Conley integration and, and how that's coming along? Like Mike Conley uh, deserves an A+. Plus. That's a grade, not a temperature. Um, he's just been a total class act, been all about the team, been completely amazing. Um, it's interesting. There are a bunch of players that are not shooting as well right now that are in little shooting slumps that are all in that bench unit. So is that related to having a new player on the floor? I doubt it. I think it, frankly, is that, you know, Joe Ingles was shooting 55% from three, and that's probably not too sustainable. And so if you, you know, select the last five games, he's now shooting 22%. If you select the last 15 games, he's at a season average of 41%, which is miraculous how numbers work that way. Um, So, you know, Jordan Clarkson suddenly not shooting quite as well. So I don't think those are Mike Conley related, but it's worth keeping an eye on. Let me go back to what you said earlier, David. I find that whole scenario fascinating about uh, – I've heard you say a thousand times that no matter who the Jazz play, they're still playing NBA teams. They're, they're still quality outfits that the Jazz is going to have to conquer by playing smart, by playing well, by playing together. But I, I find that whole idea that a team will only shift what it does – in in times of desperation. And so even if the Jazz present a certain weakness, a team isn't going to go away to try to uh, take advantage of that weakness if it's going to diminish what they typically do. And if that's the case, then like you said, then the Jazz maybe won't face that kind of situation very often. I mean, if you think about it, there, like there could have been, like, I don't think this is true, but let's just for the argument's sake to localize it. Let's say that the right move, like there was a, there was a game last year. I remember Andy Larson asked Quinn Snyder after it was a maybe Andre Iguodala hit a bunch of threes against us, and maybe it was the Warriors. And you know, Quinn Snyder, uh, Andy Larson basically asked Quinn Snyder after the game, "Well, did you ever think about pulling Rudy?" And Quinn's like, "Nope, sure didn't." Right, like that's your team now. In a seven-game playoff series, certain matchups, you might start doing something different. But these coaches are coaching. This is the biggest mistake a, a listener makes or a fan makes 
when evaluating games, and the biggest mistake Twitter makes every night is that everyone evaluates that game on that night and, and those substitutions, whereas every coach is making substitutions based on an, keeping a locker room together and players engaged over an 82-game schedule. Uh, Jerry Sloan used to always say, I remember there was a time where I think it was C.J. Miles was in the starting lineup and it was pretty clear he needed to come out of the starting lineup. And I had at that point finally had a good enough relation with Jerry. I was like, like, what's your thought on that? He goes, I'd rather do it three games late than three games early. If I do it three games early, he's pissed off. If I do it three games late, he's thankful. And I was like, that's a pretty interesting perspective. It's also just kind of what coaches are doing all the time, which is, if you pull Rudy Gobert because Andre Iguodala is playing center for the Warriors, the message you just sent your best players, you're not good enough for certain matchups, that's not going to serve you well for 82 games. So had Clint Capella and James Harden and Russell Westbrook been healthy, Mike D'Antoni's not doing those things because he's keeping Clint Capella on the floor because he needs him for all 82 games. And obviously Russell and James are Russell and James. So it is interesting how certain nights just go unique ways. And that one from the beginning looked awful and stayed awful all night. Uh, David, for those of us who haven't made this particular trip uh, from San Antonio, well, I guess Salt Lake City, San Antonio, then Denver, then Portland, logistically, where does this rank? How tough is that on a logistics uh, on the body? I don't know, but the NBA thought it'd be really flipping cool if they could see what it was like for us to play four games in four different time zones. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Let's go Mountain Central, Mountain Pacific, back to Mountain. Maybe five games straight in different time zones. That'll be really cool and see how we all react. I have no idea why they did this. Uh, the San Antonio-Denver back-to-back is one we've never done before. We've done a Houston-Utah, so I guess it's not that different. Any back-to-back into Denver sucks because you land in Nebraska and then drive into Denver. Um, at least I think that's where Stapleton Airport is. So I, you know, I just we'll see how this works out. We need to get tonight. Tomorrow doesn't seem like it's a, it's in our favor. Last question. Denver doesn't play. Denver doesn't play tonight, do they? No, no, no. I don't think so. Last, that would have been nice. Last question for you, David. So they lost. Didn't Denver lose last night somewhere yeah, they shouldn't? Memphis. Yeah, Memphis. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. So that, and it was in Memphis, so they were on the road coming back. So last question for you. I know you got to catch a bus, but you know Quinn well enough, David, that I'm interested in knowing what is he looking at when everybody else is watching the ball during a game, and I know the situations change, but what is he often looking at while everyone else is following along with the ball? Um, I think he's looking – I don't know. Um, I do know that he is able to take in more information – in a glance than we are. Michael could do that too. Do you remember Michael Jordan's press conference after he hit the game-winning shot over Brian Russell in game one of 97? He gets asked about that play. What was that, a 13-second play? His answer, I still have it today, Hmm. was two minutes and 45 seconds long about everything he saw. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Like, he was dribbling, and he took it all, and I knew this, I knew that, I knew da 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 He went this way, he took three steps there, he went. And I remember going, you know, it's like I, uh, last year, was it LeBron was asked about, like, how did you go from up two to down nine in the fourth quarter, and he was actually able to pull out every single play? Do you remember that last year when LeBron did that? That's an incredible YouTube search, if you can find that. Uh, LeBron's photographic, search LeBron's photographic memory on YouTube. It's incredible. These geniuses see things at a different level than the rest of us Quins in that classification. 
All right, David. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. We know you uh, have a good call tonight, and uh, we'll see if the Jazz – are you predicting that they will bounce back uh, strong after what happened the other night? I would think so. San Antonio's got a below 500 record against um, – San Antonio's just really average. Like, if, if we've been way better than average. Everything about San Antonio's average. The only thing that gets me at all nervous tonight – San Antonio with LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan on the floor together are like negative four or negative three together. The minute you take one of them off, they're actually still not great. The minute you take both of them off, they're great. So the minutes when DeMar DeRozan's off the floor tonight, which probably could be as many as 18 or 20, has me nervous because San Antonio's got some uniqueness to him in those circumstances that could be hard for us to handle. All right, David. Thanks a lot. We appreciate you joining us. See you, buddy. All right. David Locke, the voice of the Utah Jazz. Hey, and how the heck are you, man? I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing really good, Gordon. How you doing, man? Oh, thanks for thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Well, not only did I come in, but I brought in my good friend, Dr. Bill Simakoski, with me. Good how to are see you? you, Hans and Gordon? I'm doing very well, thanks. Doc, good haven't see seen you in a while. You doing all right? Yeah, I, yeah. I like the get up. It's, it's nice. the same thing I always wear. You know, <laughs> people get tired of looking at it, but it's pretty easy for me to pick out clothes in the morning. So, you know, when we bring in Dr. Simikoski, we're bringing in stem cell, not only just the, the overall makeup of it, but how it can help our listeners. Yes. And if you listen to me talk, I am fascinated by stem cells. I and, don't blame you. And, and how it can affect our body's health and the movement. I think one of the most common questions about stem cell in in terms mm -hmm. of how I look at it as a former athlete is can it help reduce chronic pain in joints you know it can Hans and you know I've, when I've been on your show and talked in the past I've spent more time talking about you know how the stem cells work what what we're doing more about the process when I'm treating joints and things like that and that's all very useful information I'm sure your listeners want to know that and we've talked about that in the past and we will talk about that today but you know what probably makes more sense is just give you a general overview of why more people should be thinking about stem cell treatments for different conditions or anti-aging medicine in general. I'd like to tell you, uh, I've mentioned a little bit of how I got my start, but I think if I explain all that, it'll come full circle and, and more people will, you know, they don't need to learn everything about every procedure I do right now, mm -hmm. right? But if I can give an overview in, uh, of just of the types of things you should be thinking about that maybe you should look into doing, seeing, going to a clinic for anti-aging or regenerative medicine rather than just your primary care doctor or just the orthopedist, then, you know, then it gives you food for thought. You can go to my website. You can learn, do more research on your own, and, you know, it, it, it'll be useful. By the way, I don't know, the, the, I don't know how uh, pragmatic it is, but, Doc, every time I see you, you look younger. Oh, thank you. Very nice. <laughs> you know, what are you, what are you doing? Are you treating yourself? What's going on? I do on? treat myself. Well, I'm 53 years old now, and you know when Doesn't I was, he look young? Oh, he does. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. You. I appreciate yep. that. But that's all part of anti-aging and regenerative medicine. Mm. So let me just dive right in. I'll tell you the first story first. I, I know we only have a certain amount of time for each segment, and we'll circle back and. I'll, I'll, I'll carry on the conversation. But I started off as an ER doctor and a toxicologist. That's how I got my initial training. And I love that field of medicine. And I got further trauma training. I was taking care of critical care stuff and major trauma centers, the sickest individuals that died of overdoses and, and drug interactions. That's all, you know, the type of, um, the types of work that an ER doctor or a toxicologist does. And it was very rewarding. I loved saving lives. I loved helping people when they were in their dire you know, most dire straits mm -hmm. and needing help. 
but I did a full 360, and now I'm, or 360, that was kind of the wrong thing to say, 180. <laughs> Carl Malone here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 180. And now I'm doing things that are all elective, but mm-hmm. equally important and equally rewarding. That's Dr. Bill Simikoski. He's the director of Utah Stem Cells. What's the best sure. way for people to jump into that? Okay, so if you if you look at my website, utahstemcells.com, very easy to remember, then you get a lot of information. And uh, and I don't know how much time we have for right now, but we'll come back to it. But I, I basically love sports, and I would love to come on your show and just talk about sports one day. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not do. a sports That's, expert. <laughs> I know you love But it. I love, Co- you know, I'll, I'll, I have to tell a Kobe Bryant story a little bit later but uh i know there's a i've been very emotional i'm sure you guys have too about uh, the death of kobe bryant as the whole country has Mm -hmm. but um but the bottom line is i am a sports aficionado nothing is more important to me than sports as far as things that i choose you know as far as activities i love to do of course family is very important health is very important but I, w- I used to play a lot of competitive sports that were contact sports. Hockey, soccer, and lacrosse were my sports. But by the age of 17, I'd had seven knee surgeries and multiple knee dislocations, and I couldn't play any longer. It was kind of devastating when you're a senior in high school expecting to play in college that that's the end of your career. But then I turned my attention to other sports that I could play that were non-contact, things like skiing, tennis, even basketball. And I was able to keep doing stuff, right? My problem was that my knees kept dislocating. But I knew that one day, cartilage, I had severe arthritis even at age 17 because of all the trauma I had to my knees. I knew that someday that arthritis was going to catch up with me. And I also knew that I never wanted to give up playing sports that I enjoyed doing, especially the skiing. So um, thankfully, stem cells came along at a time when it did catch up with me as I got approached my 40s It's stem cells. Uh, sorry, arthritis did catch up with me. So I'll, I'll expand on that later. But um, but the key is I l- the whole reason I switched from emergency medicine and toxicology and got into regenerative medicine and anti-aging is just so I can enjoy life for as long as I can and not give up sports that I want to do and stay young, feeling young. We do bioidentical hormones also that can keep you feeling young and strong. So the answer is no one really needs to give up doing stuff mm-hmm. they enjoy doing or saying, hey, this is just a fact of old age, aging and, and arthritis has kicked in. It's too advanced. I can't do anything about it. No, we can do something about it and we do something profound about it. Well, I'm excited to continue the conversation. That's Dr. Bill Simikoski. He's the director of Utah Stem Cells and we'll hear more from him as the show goes on. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate it. All right, stay with us here on The Big Show. I want to get Hans' thoughts on the Super Bowl, that thing that everyone's interested in coming up this weekend. Stay tuned. I'm here to introduce the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about from the guys you know and trust. Go Town! Turn it up. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. Yeah, yeah. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It is the big show. I'm Gordon Monson. Jake Scott is out today. Austin is over there, fly, uh, you know, the captain of this ship, and Hans Olsen on board now. Jennifer Lopez, Hans, you have a weird look on your. This face. is Destiny's Child, isn't it? This is the Jennifer Lopez version. But it is Destiny Child's song. Yes. Oh. 
Why would somebody so similar to Destiny's Child redo a Destiny Child? I don't know. I'm just. I don't even know if any of that's true. But, he's, he's just. Oh. It says Jennifer Lopez here. So <laughs> I like the song. It's a good song. Do you like Jimmy? Do I like Jennifer? Yeah. No, I'm not a Jennifer Lopez. What <laughs> at all? Now I, I was when she played Selena in the in the movie Selena. I was uh, a big fan of her then. I'm not a fan of this glitz and glam and no, the music. I, I, you know, I no, I don't like her music at all. I'll, I'll tell you, I did like Jennifer Lopez on as a oh, what was the dancing group? On that show with comedy that had Jim Carrey, holy in living color. In living color. Did you know she was a dancer? No, I on did in not. living color. So you liked her as a background yeah, person, like a background dancer. Wow. What was that dancing group that they 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 had? They, they had a particular name. The the Jabberwockies. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it was the Jabberwockies. No, close. <laughs> Blue Man Group. The Newsies. No. The Newsies. No. So Hiss, what are you going to do during the halftime show? I'll watch it. I watch because you never know when something's going to pop up, some type of you know surprise that everybody talks about. I guess it's been a few years. I, I think the last like what like a political statement. No, or? The, well, the, I guess that was pretty recent, wasn't it? But the, the, I think the most recent football like a dancing was, shark was the middle finger. What was that? Two thousand and oh, with uh, Travis M- Scott or M- whatever. M I A. No. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it was M I. It was Madonna brought in. I can't remember, but also MIA, and she flipped the bird, like double-barreled the camera. There's always something. What else? Like Michael Jordan grabbed his, you know. Yeah. Uh, that. No, yeah. M- Michael Jackson did that. Yeah, yeah, he did that. Not and, Michael Jordan. Uh, did I say Jordan? Jackson, I meant. Michael Jordan and, uh, grabbed some alcohol and gambled. But. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, there was the infamous incident with the uh, wardrobe. wardrobe yeah. Malfunction. Oh. What about Left Shark? Yeah. Whatever. Uh, what was? Oh, oh, it was uh, Beyonce did the political statement, didn't she? I don't know. I was just yeah. I, to make a what joke. was the Love Shark thing? What well, with Katy Perry? Oh, yeah. They had this choreographed beautiful dance, and one shark was doing like an Olympic gold medal <laughs> floor routine, and the other shark was just side to side stepping. Yeah, I do remember that. So was that uh, was that taboo? Was that no Left Shark won the day? Yeah, Left, Left shark. shark was pretty popular. Um, what's your favorite all-time halftime performance? Anybody have like one that stands out to them? Man, I, I've never I, really I, liked yeah, it. I don't really pay that much attention to it. Man, I don't either. Didn't they used to have what they have during the halftime show on another channel? Oh, the Puppy Bowl. The Puppy Bowl. Oh no, the Bud Bowl. And the Bud Bowl. Yeah, the, they do a Puppy Bowl though too now. Didn't they used to do something that would be kind of uh, politically incorrect these days with the uh, lingerie bowl or something? Didn't they do that? Too? That's in your department. There. Uh, they've actually got, a, a, I think, a league called the Lingerie League. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, did they ever do something off the side of the Super Bowl? I don't I thought they did. But uh, How, Why don't they have like a comedian do the halftime show or something? Get them to tell a bunch of jokes. Yeah, yeah real Seinfeld out there or something. <laughs> I'm just – so my issue is we have – the perfect game. Like this is the perfect matchup. Two high octane offenses, a really good defense, and then a okay defense. And I think we've got the perfect game. And it's really hard for me because sometimes I have to just shuffle f- through the fluff of everything. You know, the commercials yeah. and the long half times and the overdone uh, um, uh, national anthem and all the things. Like, I love the national anthem. Don't get me wrong. But just get to the national anthem. Let's do it. I don't need to hear and look and see and all these things with Demi Lovato. Just get it done. Let's get to the game. As a player, though, Hans, uh, they have to get past this stuff, too. 
right? And so that's a part of the whole process, right? If you can't yeah. get past that, you're not going to play at your at your peak. It's a huge advantage to have some type of experience there. You know, you talk to like guys like Chris Hoke, former BYU defensive tackle that won a couple of Super Bowls with the Steelers, or Brett Kiesel, who did the same play to BYU as a DN and and then won. What did he sit with two or three? Or three yeah, two, I think. I two. Um, you talk to those guys, and, and going to number one as compared to going to number two was a huge difference. Now, that doesn't matter with either one of these teams, especially with their quarterbacks. It's been a while since either one of them has seen it. Kansas City, what's it been, 50 years? Yeah. So these these teams aren't, aren't real accustomed to it. Now, you, you do have some things that you can work off of. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has a relationship with Tom Brady. You know, he played under him. He was a protege, and I do know that that Jimmy Garoppolo is calling Tom Brady, saying, "What do I expect here? Media day? How do you prepare? What do you do during halftime on the extended time?" And maybe you get some tips on how to handle yourself as a veteran. You know, I always talk about this in the NFL. It's such a closed group that everybody knows everybody and everybody has a connection and everybody can get a get a couple of bits of advice and that's what I'd be doing you know if I was in this game where you got guys like Daniel Sorensen, Fred Warner you know some of the local guys Jackson Barton this is going to be their first chance at a Super Bowl I'm calling any connection I can and I'm getting the advice of okay well how do I handle myself at media day how do I handle myself in a locker room how do I handle myself in the first set? What kinds of things should I expect with media and guests and all the things that they do on the sidelines? Because you're right, Gordon. It's a big, old, gigantic distraction. When the Houston Astros were uh, caught with the sign-stealing thing, we had Dale Murphy on. And Dale said he was surprised <laughs> that the team any team would try to do that because there's so much fluidity between teams. Everybody knows. And they go to the next team, and then they spill all the beans. And in this case, you're talking about an experience kind of thing to share. But there's also a whole lot of other sharing going on with this whole thing. And that's why I know coaches hit this again and again and again, and it comes down to execution. That's what it is. These teams know what the other teams are going to do. So now they just have to go out and play the best football, right? I mean, I know that's a simplification, but it's it's true. It's a gigantic simplification, and there there are going to be you, – you've got two very intelligent head coaches that are going to try so many different things to catch these defenses off guards offensively and, and probably some defensive scheme to try to put some pressure on Mahomes and Garoppolo. How hard is it to incorporate something new – for the biggest game of the year. Not that bad, you know, and I'm talking about a couple of wrinkles, but but a couple of big wrinkles at, at timely moments. Something, maybe one thing in special teams, maybe two or three teams defensive, two or three things defensively, and maybe two or three three things offensively. Um, they won the Super Bowl for the Eagles. Yeah. You, yeah, you, right. you know, you can put, you can put not overly dramatic wrinkles that work off of a play that has become synonymous with your offense. Uh, for instance, how many times did we see Utah run the jet sweep um, with their with their tight end? You know, they, they ran it three or four times. Every time they ran it, it'd go for 30, 40 yards. And I was waiting in that Pac-12 game to see some, some type of throwback or something worked off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Ludwig went a little bit to the, the zone read in the Pac-12 championship game. I wish that he would have done a little bit more of that, more of that wrinkle. 
And most of these coaches have something up their sleeve that they've done at some point in their career that they could pull out at any time and and implement and do it pretty smooth. You know, it's it's something that it, that comes along pretty smooth. And and here's the thing, Gordon. In those moments of practice, when a coach brings something to the team offensively, like if he, you get together in a team meeting and he says, "Hey, okay, we're watching this on film. I want everybody to watch this." Their outside linebacker gets engaged on play action. Their defensive end is on a stunt every time he's lined up a foot out. So what we're going to try to do if we if we catch him in this formation, now come here, guys. I want you to pay close attention. We're going to score off this, and this is how we're going to do it. I need you to fly down. I need you to fly around, and everybody senses tune in, and you're like, this is our chance. About that. And then all game, you're sitting in the huddle just waiting for the call, <laughs> and you're like, oh, ah, there it is. Let's go. And and everybody performs it uh, with kind of a, a heightened sense of, of what's happening in that moment, and you know why you're running that that play at that moment because you see it happening in front of you when you were with when that's you, fun when you were with the Colts did you guys practice things and not use them oh all the time. just keep them stored away stored away for the right moment all the time but I'll tell you that's the craziest thing with quarterbacks like Peyton Manning is you could go 15 games of the regular season and not have that thing called and that used and it could be the third quarter, and he sees the look, and you darn well better know what that call is. I told you, and one of, one, of, one of my favorite stories to tell is he had an Apple call. When he called Apple, it took the two plays that were called in the huddle off the, off the floor, and it gave him full reign of the audible at the line of scrimmage. So when you hear Apple, Apple, you instantly clinch up because you're like, oh, I hope I'm really aware of what he's calling. And he called a play I didn't ever, I've never heard of. And I'm sitting at the right guard position against the Denver Broncos, and I don't even know what the hell I'm supposed to do based off this call. And I turn to my center, and I'm like, is this a run or a pass? And the center's like, you got to be freaking kidding me. And the defensive tackle across from me started laughing, and I'm like, run or pass? And I had no idea. And so, you know, those— What happened on the play? Those guys, I, I got blown by. I think I— I think I fired off the ball and the D tackle came through, and that was really the beginning of the end for me. But to my point is, yeah, they've got all kinds of things that you can work in at some kind of random crazy point that you hadn't run most of the season. All right, Hans talked about the matchup. Uh, we want to get into that in detail coming up. Uh, Hans, I'm really excited to talk about these two teams, both offensively and defensively, and uh, some of the specifics of what they can do against one another. But first, we have a doctor in the house. Yeah, Dr. Bill Simikoski. He is the director of Utah Stem Cells, and we got into some of the the concepts of arthritis and degeneration. And, you know, I, I know that there are so many people out there that are dealing almost with a lifelong plague of pain. And this is a way to, to get through the pain and, and to start to regenerate. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, a, a lot of people want, want to know, are, is stem cell therapy experimental? Uh, where are we in, in how far along is the science advanced? Is it proven? Well, stem cell treatment, let, uh, let me start by saying that athletes and professional athletes in particular were the first types of patients or the 
the first people that ever used stem cell treatments, or are they actually before we started injecting stem cells into joints to to heal them from injuries? We started using PRP, platelet-rich plasma. Um, back in the day, I wasn't doing my uh, residency in emergency medicine in Augusta, Georgia. That's where I went. That's where I did my residency program. Tiger Woods was trying. I think this was the around the mid '90s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he won his first Masters around that time after he had had really bad knee problems, and he had PRP treatments done on his knee, and he made it back and won his first Masters. I mean. The Peyton Manning, you were talking about Peyton Manning. Uh, he had a horrible neck injury, and he was out for a little while, and he had neck treatments. Nothing was working. He went and had stem cell treatments in his neck, and he came back, almost had an MVP season the next, the next year he came back from, um, from, from neck treatments. I mean, the list goes on and on. Kobe Bryant, for example, since he's in the news a lot lately, God rest his soul, he, he tore his Achilles. A lot of t- people talk about um, how he made it back from that Achilles, Achilles injury because of his competitive spirit and, uh, and his work ethic. But the next day, the very next day after he had that, that uh, Achilles injury, he was on a plane to Germany to get stem cell treatments. Now, why did he fly to Germany to get stem cell treatments instead of doing it here in the United States? Well, um, and this is going to get into a little bit more of the uh, details of stem cell treatments. We can get stem cells from different places. We can get them from the embryo. That's where, where uh, a lot of the research has been done. Uh, and those come from aborted fetuses, usually. And uh, those aren't legal in the United States. And so that's why some athletes and people uh, still fly to other countries to get embryonic stem cells done. But here in this country, we have we can use umbilical cord and amniotic stem cells, and they're very close in nature and potency to those embryonic stem cells without any of those ethical concerns that surround embryonic stem cells. But there are still some doctors, some uh, patients, some players and people that go to other countries to get them done. It's really not necessary. Here in this country, there are a lot of qualified doctors, people like myself that have been well-trained. I'm board certified in interventional regenerative orthopedic medicine. And, um, and we have that level of training. We have that uh, expertise here in this country using umbilical cord stem cells. So now we have the potency uh, of those cells better than your aged adult stem cells without any of those ethical mm-hmm. concerns. And yes, it does work. And athletes don't wait until when, when, a, when a competitive athlete gets hurt, whether it's college or prof- especially professional, they all have a doctor on their team roster that can do these treatments. They're not going to wait till that patient uh, heals and gets better on his own. They're not going to take any chances. They want them back as quickly as they can. They're doing PRP and stem cell treatments right away. And it was through that use of PRP, platelet-rich plasma and stem cells, that we then brought it to the masses, to the general public. Why, why do only the professional athletes get to do this? Well, when I first heard about stem cell treatments in my late uh, 40s, and uh, when I needed, I was looking for a solution for my knees. Not, all the different treatments that came along to help to regrow cartilage, they, none of them were universally successful. They only had mediocre results until stem cells came along. Once I learned about stem cells, I, it turns out that I had a cousin down in, who was also a physician down in Miami that was doing these treatments for a while. I picked his brain about it, had my knees treated, and I was like, by golly, this works. It's amazing. Why aren't more people doing this? Why are people giving up playing the sports that they enjoy doing, even if they can still do them, but they're doing them with less uh, strength or pain? There's no need for that. We can inject stem cells no matter how 
far gone that cartilage is. There's nobody that's too far gone, and I can talk more about that later. But the bottom line is people need to be thinking about these treatments. They're not just for the professional athletes. They're not just for the college players. We can do these these treatments inexpensively. There's no downtime. They come into the office. They leave the office after about a one-hour procedure. And they can go about their normal activities. They're not wearing casts. They're not on crutches. Um, And so you get back much more quickly, and you don't have to give up doing the things you love. And that's the main thing. Um, It all started with the professional athletes, but now, finally, it's reaching the masses. If you're interested in it, go to utahstemcells.com. If you're interested in getting back to health and seeing what it can do, we've got a 24-hour period where you can get $200 off by mentioning you hearing Dr. Bill Simikoski here on The Big Show. That's utahstemcells.com. Thank you, Dr. Simikoski. Thank you, Hans. All right, we'll break down the Super Bowl coming up next on The Big Show.